So, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Chai Sara. So, we're studying the Rebbe's Devar Malchus, the Rebbe's teaching from 1991, 57 52. And every year, Parsha's Chai Sara is Shabbos Mavarchim Kislev. It blesses the new month. Parsha of this week always blesses the forthcoming month of Kislev, the third month on the Jewish calendar. Always that way. And Parsha's Chayisara is a very interesting Parsha. And in that, it discusses the life of Sarah, but it begins with talking about her passing, which is reconciled in a lot of the commentaries. But one of the, and we also hear about her life being really carried on through her son, Isaac Yitzchak, and her future daughter-in-law is found, Rebecca Rivka, in this week's Parsha also. But one of the interesting things that's contemporary about this parsha is that it came a custom in Chabad that the Chabad emissaries all around the world always gather this week in Crown Heights. And so the Rebbe's discourse here is an address to the shluchim, the emissaries, the Chabad rabbis and all around the world, and how the Rebbe connects it very deeply to this week's parsha. Why? Because in this week's parsha, we hear about the first shliach in the Torah, the first emissary, the first ambassador in the Torah, who is Eliezer. Eliezer was Abraham's slave, Abraham's servant. And Eliezer was not Jewish. In fact, Abraham refers to him as cursed, even in the Torah. Because uh, Eliezer proposed his own uh, daughter for Abraham's son. He says, my people don't associate with your people. And this is the way it is. So he says, Eliezer, you're the first shaliach. You're the first uh, emissary. Hello. So Abraham appoints Eliezer to find a wife for his son. Who's his son? Isaac, Yitzchak. Yitzchak is the first person born as a Jew. Lives his whole life as a Jew. Lives his life in Israel, his whole entire life. And is the holiest of holy things. He was the carbon, the offering to God by Abraham two weeks ago's Parsha, or three weeks ago, one week ago's Parsha. And he was considered the holiest of holies. And so Abraham sends his slave, his servant, Eliezer, to find a wife for his son. In that, he sends him as an ambassador. He gives him a contract. And in the contract, it says, all my possessions are yours. You have full power of attorney. You have full, full ambassadorship on my behalf. Your word is like my word. Your deeds are my deeds. Whatever you do, I agree with. And he gives him a full writ of all of his possessions. And Abraham was a very wealthy man at this point also. Very, very wealthy man. And he says, you have full ownership of what I own. And you can go out and find a wife for my son. Very controversial. First of all, couldn't find somebody else. Second of all, he has to give him everything. He has to give him all his possessions. Was he has to just write a power of attorney? Everyone knows Abraham. He's a famous guy at that point. Say, I'm Abraham's servant. Here's a document. Here's a, a proof that you are my... I just give you power of attorney. Doesn't mean you get everything. Doesn't mean you get like the keys to my car and you could wake up in my bed. That's literally what Eliezer is like. Eliezer's literally got everything. He's got the keys to the throne. Keys to the palace. And so Abraham appoints him as his first emissary. 
the first emissary we hear about in the Torah, the first person sent on a mission as an ambassador in the entire Torah is Eliezer. And we read about in this week's Parsha his journey at length. It's very long. It's very schlepped out, as they say. We almost know more about Eliezer than we know about Isaac on, on whose behalf he was sent. We almost know more about a non-Jewish servant and his travels and his trials, his travails and his ups, his downs, his going and his traveling and his finding the wife and bringing her back. The whole narrative, we know way more about it than the, the boy who's so holy. I mean, that's why we don't hear about him so much. He's so holy that we know more about him than we almost know about Isaac himself. And then once Rivka's on the scene, we know more about his wife than we know about Isaac also. Isaac, we know, we know very little about his life, exactly how he is. I mean, Rivka, Rebecca, we hear all about her, where she was born, where she grew up, how she was. She was so kind. She was a nice woman. She came back. She was so modest. She carried herself so, uh, with such dignity and, we, and her, her amazing qualities, how she takes care of her sons and the next Parshas. We hear about all about Rebecca. We don't know very much about Isaac. But the point is, for this week's Parsha, we hear all about this non-Jewish servant going on this crazy mission. And so what does it tell us? It tells us something very deep. So every year, by 770, Chabad headquarters, all the Chabad rabbis come in from all over the world. And it's a special Shabbos. It's a special time of year. It starts today, Wednesday. and goes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, Sunday, Monday. And it's like a time where everyone comes to be by the Rebbe. And the Rebbe says that the shluchim, the emissaries of Chabad, are, first and foremost, have a unique job in this generation. The Rebbe attributes them being sent out by the previous Chabad, Rebbe Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak. But the Rebbe says that the, the job, the undercurrent of everything of a Chabad rabbi to do from 1991 and on is to bring Mashiach. That's the job. Challah bakes are beautiful, menorah lightings are wonderful, tefillin is great. Hebrew school, awesome, all this stuff. But everything has to be infused with Mashiach. Almost like the job description before 91 was Judaism. The job description after 91 is Mashiach. In the context of Judaism. Doesn't mean we don't do tefillin, doesn't do we don't do tzedakah. Doesn't mean we don't give up those mitzvahs. But Mashiach is the underpinning of everything we do. But really, you might say, well, I'm not a Chabad rabbi. Like, what is this relevant to me? The Rebbe is going to make it very relevant to you. The Rebbe says that every Jew is a shliach of Hashem, is an ambassador of God. Every Jew is an agent of the one above. Every one of us has a shlichut. The minute we're born, the minute we get breath, the minute we're born, we become God's ambassador on this earth. I mean, can you imagine telling to young people today how empowering that would be? You tell a kid who's uh, disenfranchised, going through whatever they're going through on TikTok, and say, you have... An ambassadorship. The minute you breathe life, you have a job to do. You have a mission. You have value. You have importance. You're amazing. You have responsibility. These are all values that our Torah gives right away. And the Rebbe is really communicating to, you know, more recent times, 1991. For me, that sounds, it's like my, I was uh, 14. But like, it's, it's an amazing revelation to tell every single Jew you're an ambassador of Hashem. Oh, I thought the great rabbis are that way, the Siddiquim, the righteous people, the righteous women, the righteous men, the Rebetzins, the prophets, the Kabbalists. These are all the... No, 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 no. Every single Jew is an ambassador of God. Everyone is. As it says, 
I was created to serve my master, as it says in the Mishnah. Especially, for sure, us in our times, when our job is to bring Mashiach. We're the last generation of exile and the first generation of Mashiach. And this pivotal innovation is not just a detail in our ambassadorship of God, but it's a fundamental, all-encompassing part of Judaism. You say, what is Mashiach's ultimate job? Peace on earth. We all have these connotations of what Mashiach will be like. Reuniting Israel, all the Jews uniting together, resurrection of the dead. We think of all these amazing miracles and things. What's Mashiach's main job? To restore Torah to its rightful place in the world. To bring Judaism and make it real. Right now, we're doing it because we believe, because we understand, because we comprehend, because we feel, because our parents maybe did it, or our grandparents did it. These are all nice reasons, but they're not really the main principle of what Judaism really is. Like we learned last week, a Jew who feels or a lack, a, a, a breach in their spirituality is healthy today. A Jew who feels that their spirituality is not intact, that's a healthy attitude. Any Jew who feels like, I'm spiritually healthy, I'm rocking, I'm rolling, I'm going, that's not healthy. Why? Because no one sees God. You can feel God, you can understand God, you can ex maybe experience a little bit, but to, to, to miss out on the main concept of being with my Creator in a visceral, palpable sense, the way Abraham was, and to feel that I'm lacking something, that, I, that, I, that I'm broken by that, that's healthy. That's the healthy approach. The healthy approach should be questioning and being upset with the current status quo of our spirituality as Jews. But that shouldn't be a, a point where we say, ah, you know what, forget it. I'll put my feet up on the couch all day and do nothing. It means it should be a motivating factor to say, how do I heal that breach? How do I heal that frailty? How do I heal that, that, that brokenness within me and my career relationship with my creator? And the answer to that is by bringing God into this world. So that's the job of every single Jew. And when do we know that we've completed that? It was the coming of Mashiach, specifically in the era of, of Mashiach, when the Torah, as we've studied it, and as we know it, as we've lived it, becomes real. Like I see Hashem. When I say a blessing, I feel the energy of the Pellegrino that I'm drinking. I feel the energy of this table that my elbows are in while I'm studying Torah. I feel the godly energy all around me. And it's normal, and it's calm, and it makes sense. That's real life. This is not real life. This is like an aberration. Any concealment is an aberration. Being cool with the status quo of being in exile, and I'm not only talking about being outside of Israel, I'm talking about spiritually in a state of exile, that's, that's unhealthy. It, it, it's corrupted. It's, a, it's, not, it's not sensitive. It's not, it doesn't feel good, and it shouldn't feel good. We shouldn't be cool with it. So the Rebbe says an amazing thing here. And the Rebbe says that our sages tell us all the appointed times for Mashiach to come have already passed. All the times, if you look at all, like, like in the Talmud, and it says the dates of when Mashiach could come, and if this happens in the world, this should happen, then that should happen. All of that is in the past already. The Rebbe started saying this, I believe, in 1990. 1990, that ever started saying that all the dates have passed. All the allotted times that the prophet said that if you calculate this way, then this said this. All that's in the past. The only thing is actually, 
We actually need Mashiach. And the Rebbe says even more, every single Jew has done Teshuvah. I don't know, I wasn't religious at that point. When I was 14, I definitely didn't feel like I had done Teshuvah. But what does it mean? It means that on some level, every Jew has at one point turned their thoughts and their hearts towards their Creator. At some point. It's not up to me to judge. I don't know. I don't know what the Rebbe is meaning by this. I'm not the Rebbe, so I can't. I'm, I'm, the Rebbe sees what's going on with the Jewish people in their hearts and their minds of Klal Yisrael, of the Jewish people on a whole. But I don't know. But the Rebbe says here, every single Jew has done tshuva already. Tshuva's already done. Some people might say that it might be on a personal level. There are certain things that need to be repaired still. But the point is, is that everything has been done to the point that Rebbe says we could stand at attention like a soldier, ready to receive Mashiach. You know, a soldier has to do so many things to stand at attention for the morning to get ready. Make his bed a certain way, the certain uniform, to polish the buttons, to get the medals on, the hat has to be right, the whole uniform has to be everything the right way, every detail, the gun has to be loaded that way and put together, everything has to be exactly in order. They said, all that's done. All that's done for Mashiach. The only thing is to stand ready. Stand up, get ready. Mashiach's here. Yeah, so the war of Gog, Umogog, that war, yeah. Seemingly that has been passed too. Some people attribute that war to the desert storm. That's what I'm saying. Some people say that. So we just gotta stand at attention. Stand at attention. <laughs> you gotta stand at attention? Wait. We went to, remember when we went to the, we went to this class, this Jewish class on Tishabah, and they said, what did they say? They said that they, they would go to the rabbi, the Rebbitzin, and they would say, Rebbitzin, what do you make me? Because they would go to their house for Shabbat dinner and lunch. Rebbe-Timodi-Megin-Fer-Lunch-Tomorrow-Gets-I-Don't-Know-What-I-Made-Me-For-Lunch-Tomorrow-Because-Mishiach's-Been-Come-But-If-They-Don't-Come-But-If
But one of the interesting things about shliach, if you take the letters of shliach and you add them up, the gematria, what's the number? 358. 358. What's the number of Mashiach? 368. Missing 10. What's the 10? The 10 kochot nefesh, the 10 sfirot. When every Jew actualizes his or her 10 sfirot on the highest level, you're actualizing a microcosm of Mashiach. You become Mashiach. When every Jew channels their chokhmah, bina, dat, chesed, gevura, tiferet, netzach, hodisod, malchut, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, kindness, discipline, uh, harmony, uh, victory, splendor, foundation, and malchut, and kingship, you can, you are actually bringing Mashiach. We're all imbalanced. We all have imbalances in our sirot. Some people are more kind, some people are more disciplined, some people are more brain, some people are more emotion. Each one of us has uh, some tikkun, some measure of balancing to do in these sfirot. But our job is to actualize these 10 kochot nefesh, these 10 powers of our soul. And when we actualize those 10 powers of our soul, we're actualizing Mashiach. The Rebbe is going to say deeper here. So it says that there's a connection between being a shaliach and Mashiach. Not just being a Jew and Mashiach, but realizing my job. It's one thing to say, I'm a Jew. Okay, I'm a Jew. I'm a proud Jew. Every Jew is a proud Jew. I'm Yisrael Chai. Beautiful. That's really important. But realizing you're an ambassador, realizing you have a specific job to do, this takes precedence over everything. This supersedes everything. In fact, if we fast forward to Shemot in, in Exodus, when Moses goes by the burning bush, it's on page 78. Moses goes by the burning bush. He makes a request of God. It's on the second, the bottom paragraph. He says, Shalach na biyad tishlach. Please send the one you intend to send. It's a lot of rhyming there. But he says to God, send the guy who's going to finish the job. Send the one you're going to send. Don't send me. Don't send me to bring the Jews out of, his, uh, out of uh, Egypt and bring to Israel. Send the one you're going to send. Do, send, the, send the final guy now. What are you holding back for? He says to God. And Isaac Sages say that he said, Master of the universe, eventually going to send one you're going to send in the future by the hand of Mashiach who will be revealed in the future time. But send him now. And we can understand by the Torah that Mashiach is the Shliach of Hashem. Who's the ultimate Shliach? Moses is saying, it's not me. It's Mashiach. Shalach, right? The word Shalach and Shliach, ambassador, emissary, emissary and the word shlach send send the one who is to be sent send your ultimate agent mashiach in this world now and moshe makes a request rashi the simple explanation without the kabbalah without the Jewish mysticism he says by the hand of the one you're going to send because moses no i am not the one who's destined to bring the jewish people to their final destination not only did Moses not go into Israel, but he knew he wasn't Mashiach. And Moses is saying to God, send Mashiach. Don't send me. I'm a temporary redeemer. And Moses is on a very high level, obviously. But he says, I'm not the one destined to bring them to the land. And you'll have many shluchim. You'll have many emissaries. You'll have many Jews throughout the generations, especially our last generation. Moses oftentimes saw the generation of Mashiach in his prophecies. He saw us. He saw our neshamos. He saw our experience in the last waning moments of exile 
And he says, send, send it the one you're going to send. Finish the job now. And since that Moses is not going to be the one to lead them into Israel and be the complete redeemer. In fact, there's one opinion that says if Moses had gone into Israel, he would have been Mashiach. He would have been the one to go into Israel and been Mashiach at that point. It would have been a permanent um, hold on the Holy Land for the Jewish people. But it was not that way. It was not meant to be that way. Your question? Well, he wasn't able to go. He wasn't able to go into the Because the rock in the, the water, rock, right. But like to that Ultimately, that was, a, that was the problem, right. Ultimately, the underlying condition. In God's divine promise. In the, in, the, in the bigger picture, absolutely right. Yeah, that was it. And the underlying thing was that it wasn't, wasn't ready. The generation was not ready to be redeemed completely. But so Moses was left on the threshold. Joshua, Yoshua leads the Jewish people into Israel. What about Aaron? Aaron had passed away before. Yeah. Aaron had passed away before his brother. Your Aaron. So I, I thought, I thought only Aaron was supposed to be Mashiach. He's supposed to announce Mashiach. Who? Elijah the prophet. Eliyahu Navi. It says Eliyahu Navi will announce Mashiach is coming. He'll be the the herald herald. <laughs> nice fancy word of Mashiach. Yeah, he'll be the MC. That's right, exactly. He'll be the one. He'll be that. He'll be, no, it says Hashem's going to blow the shofar. It says God will blow the shofar. It says Yitaka Shofar Gadol. What does it mean? It means the, the shofar will be blown. What does it mean? Will be blown. Someone will blow the shofar. But because it leaves the blower in uh, anonymous, sort of say, in a pronoun, the implication is that Hashem will be the blower of the shofar. But it's, we'll, we'll find out. We'll ask Mashiach what it's going to be like. We'll ask Elijah the prophet when he's saying, when he comes. And we'll see, find out what, what uh, that'll be like. But you're right. Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu Navi, does be, is the one to announce the coming of Mashiach. And the shofar being blown will be by HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, by God himself. But Moses is saying, make it all happen now. So we have to understand, we have a question here. Moses reached the highest level of Kedusha, of, how, of holiness. He received the Torah in Sinai. He was the greatest prophet that will ever live. It says even more than Mashiach. Mashiach, prophecy by Mashiach is not part of the job description, believe it or not. Mashiach does not have to be a Navi. Leave the prophecy to Elijah, to Shmuel, to Moshe. Moshe is the greatest of the great. Shmuel is probably like number two, number three. David was not a, he was a, he had Nevoah, but he was not the Navi of the time. Shmuel was the Navi of that time. Shmuel had a greater Nevoah. David was the king. We're going to talk about David in the next page. But Shmuel was the Navi. Shmuel the prophecy. We don't, sometimes we conflate knowledge with prophecy, with kingship, with kohuna. These are all separate roles that the Jewish people all have. Judaism is a role-oriented religion. Each one has their role in bringing about the ultimate divine plan that Hashem has. So Moshe, being the highest level, knew that Hashem would be sending Mashiach. He had the prophecy to send that it would be there. Yet, he had selected Moshe. It was clear. He's by the burning bush. He's coming back. He's saying, go to Pharaoh. Do everything. Why does Moshe make this request? If he knew Mashiach is eventually going to come, and he knew he's not Mashiach, and he knew God's sending me to Pharaoh right now to redeem my brothers and sisters in the Holy Land, why did Moshe make the request in the first place? Didn't Moshe Rabbeinu pray to Hashem, was it like 217 times or right. like that, to let him go into Israel? Right, right. That's Ve'et Hanan. That's years later, but yes. Oh. 40 years later. Right. Yeah. In oh, Ve'et Hanan. No, no. So this is before that. Way before that. 
So over the course of his years, he prayed because he knew it here. He knew it at this point already. You're right in that he did know it at this point, at this juncture. You know, I'm not the guy who's going in. That's that? He knew he wasn't allowed. Correct. He knew it wasn't going to go in. And at that point, he was saying, Send Mashiach, finish your job. I'll go in. Mashiach will go in. But the Jews were at, like, what was it, 39th level of impurity, right? Uh, 49th. 49th. Correct. They didn't really want Mashiach. Ah, so the whole concept is, is that when you're at the 49th level of impurity, what happened? Why were they redeemed? It wasn't based on merit. Because it would have lost them. It would have lost them. But it wasn't based on merit. Means that they didn't do you're right. They didn't do anything to warrant even Moshe. Like simply, they didn't do any, like they had no redeeming qualities by which that God would send Moses and the ten plagues and the whole story we know of of uh, the Exodus in that situation. They didn't do anything to warrant it. So what does it say? With an outstretched arm, like we say in the Haggadah, with a strong arm, an outstretched arm, Hashem took us out. Me and not an angel, me and not this. We say the whole thing. Why? Because God himself decided unconditionally. Why do you love your children? You don't have children yet. Well, why does a parent love their children? Because they're your children. Not because they did anything. Not because they got 100 on the test or they... Okay, I love my children. That's what Hashem did. It's like unconditional love. There's no real reason. So Moshe's question here is extremely... It's a question on Moshe. Why did he ask? Why did Moshe say to Hashem, send them? You know the roles. You know the setup here. You know the lay of the land. On one hand, we can make the question from an opposite perspective. Since Moses stood at the highest level of wisdom, and he is the one who requested and recommended sending Mashiach to God, he says, God, send him. We have to understand that this was a perfect question. Not only do we not question it, we say on the other end of the spectrum, Moses' request was the best request. You need to say, we're very proud of ourselves as Jews at asking questions. No other religion asks questions the way we do. But we also have to pride ourselves on the answers. We have the answers. Moses, the question, to question Moses' um, motives, how, what, where, when, and why he would do such a thing, makes absolute sense, according to me and you. But when we take it from Moses' perspective, his question is the most logical. His request of God makes the most sense. Does that make sense to us? Makes sense to hear? Meaning to say, if I look at it from below to above, from my limited perspective, like Moshe, what are you doing here? You know the lay of the land. You know the game. You know the way this is going to go. You know the ending. Why are you asking questions? But if I look at it from who Moses was, really, essentially, what am I doubting him? He had the greatest motive. He had the greatest intention. And his intention was pure and right, and his request was good. So here's the answer. How do we see that? If the Torah is the Torah of truth, and his request and recommendation is brought down in the Torah to us, and indeed, his request of Hashem is going to be fulfilled, the same Shliach who God sends to redeem the Jewish people from Egypt, Moses, will eventually be the one sent to redeem them from slavery. It says, Gael Rishain, who Gael Achrain. In the Medrash on, on Exodus, on Shmos, it says the first Redeemer will once again be the last Redeemer. So how do we understand Moshe's question? His intention was that Hashem would eventually send Mashiach. And he wanted to link himself to Mashiach. 
Meaning to say, he's saying, I know my job here. I'm going to Pharaoh. I'm going to release the Jewish people from their bondage. I'm going to take them out of slavery. I'm going to bring them to the threshold of the Holy Land that I won't be allowed in. But I'm linking myself now to Mashiach. Mm. Moses was the first one to say Mashiach now. Moses says, Hashem, Mashiach now. I'm your old... Where did we start at the class? We're all agents of Hashem. Who's the greatest agent of Hashem ever? Mashiach. Who's the first agent of Hashem? We talked about Eliezer. But who's the first Jewish agent of Hashem? Moshe. So Moshe, being an agent of God, is saying, my entire shlichut, my entire ambassadorship is predicated on bringing Mashiach. So the first conversation we have with God, what does Moshe say? I want Mashiach now. Bring him. I'm an ambassador too. I'm an ambassador. Every Jew's going to be an ambassador. Every Jew is an agent of Hashem. And their agent, their job as an agent, is to bring about the redemption, Mashiach. But yet, it's not just Moshe, it's up to each one of us. You had a question, Amy? Any question? Um, could it be that, that Moshe and then another prophet of ours and then another prophet of ours, all of them kind of are the puzzle pieces into bring Mashiach as well as, of course, the Jewish nation, but they're the leaders of each time period. So Moshe, Yeshua, right. correct, Zavid, like whoever, and I, I wonder who's there. So there's an interesting concept. Every generation has a potential candidate for Mashiach. There's a Cheskat Mashiach, a presumed Mashiach. We could assume that this leader is Mashiach in each and every generation. And it's, it's like completely, even Maimonides in, in Jewish law, Rambam, he states it in the laws of kings. Every generation has a presumed Mashiach. Right. So even if you even say an amazing thing, you, see, you alluded to an amazing thing. I don't know if you, you hit upon it or not, but you said that each Jew is also that way. So the merit of the generation is what causes the leader to be the generation. So you, I don't know if you intentionally said that, but it's, it's a beautiful thing because what you're saying is, is that we're all part of the puzzle. There's the bigger picture puzzle who's, you said Yeshua, Moshe, each one, but it's up to us to accept him as our king. If we behave like Mashiachs, ambassadors, then the real Mashiach stands up and he takes, he takes charge. Let the, each one of us, will the real Mashiach please stand up? We all say that and we're all ready for Mashiach to come. Then Mashiach will come. It's amazing. Some people don't even know what Mashiach is. But that's right. That's our job. That's our job. Uh, that's our job. And when I was a kid, I, uh, I had a famous woman as my mother. And I remember in 19... <laughs> In 1991, around this time, the whole cry of the Rebbe being Mashiach was a big thing. And I'm sitting there in my little uh, TV in my kitchen, eating my um, macaroni and cheese. And there's a whole thing, like Mashiach. And I never forget this. It's like the, the Rabbi Schneerson of the Lubavitch movement is presumed to be the Mashiach, the Messiah that the Jews have been longing for for 2,000 years. It's like, and then you interview some guy in the street. It's like, yeah, of course there is Mashiach. No, there is not. And, uh, you know, I was like, news you know it was fake news back then there's fake news back then too it wasn't just like a new thing there's always the media's always been a problem it's actually a famous thing um in the 1700s the first chabad rabbi said there's fake news he says mashiach is going to be so powerful they'll actually print it in the gazette in the in the newspapers it's like wow. how bad the media what media was in the late 1700s 
Like, you think fake news is like a thing, oh, it's worse now, the political divide. What do you mean? In 1700s, he's complaining the newspapers might or might not print the advent of the Messiah when he actually comes. Like, that's how bad the media was back then. There was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, no TikTok, no Snapchat. There was nothing. There was no Fox, MSNBC. It was nothing like this. And already he was concerned, like, for the well-being of the media reporting on, like, factual events that actually happened in the world. And, like, it took, like, you know, three months for news to break then, not three seconds. And, but the point is, I asked my mother, I said to my mom, I said, is Rabbi Schneerson Mashiach? And she says, well, Mashiach, Mashiach will be from King David, and when Mashiach comes, you'll know. I was like, that's a great answer. My, my mother had a bas mitzvah. Never had uh, no mush. Who is she? It was, it was an amazing person. <laughs> amazing answer. <laughs> amazing answer. It stuck with me. I mean, no, it stuck with me. But the point is, is that it's right. That's an absolute, absolute answer. So Moses making this request is saying, yes, in every generation there could be a potential Mashiach. All the Jewish people will be ambassadors. And when they actualize their potential, they will be bringing Mashiach. Absolutely. But the interesting thing is, Moses and Mashiach being two this different personalities, Moses is not a candidate for Mashiach. He's from the tribe of Levi. Mashiach is from the tribe of Yehuda, Judah. All the kings of the Jewish people who are, who are candidates have to be from the tribe of Yehuda, the royal house of King David. My mom was right. There are two separate themes here. But both unite in the personage of Mashiach. What's Moses' characteristic? He's a redeemer. What's King David's characteristic? I said it, he's a king. One is a king, one is a redeemer. He's a king. So what is King David? David Melech Yisrael David Melech, he's a Melech. David is the king, he's the, he's the paradigm of, he united Israel. I mean, Saul, his predecessor, the first king of Israel, Shaul, he was, it says, you know how great Shaul was? We like throw Shaul on the rug. Shaul was head and shoulders above everyone in the room, it says. It says physically, mentally, spiritually, and like characteristic. He looked like a king. He looked like the ultimate celebrity. And like everyone, the, the tallest guy in the room was like 6'5". He was 7'5". And when you looked at his face, he looked like the most handsome man of all time. Brilliant beyond belief. Warrior, spiritual warrior, Torah scholar. Rabbi, everything, and he failed. And only King David, the youngest little son of, the, of, of, of Yishai, of, of, of Jesse, in English, I don't know why Jesse is Yishai, uh, Yishai comes, and he's a little shepherd who likes to play music, he's like peace and hippie out and everything, and he's like in the field hanging out with sheep, and he kills Goliath, he kills Goliath, the whole thing, we know David, is like, we think this little sheep boy, shepherd boy, and he's Mashiach. He's the seed of Mashiach. He unites the entirety of Israel. He's the one who builds the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. This is King David, only from the tribe of Judah. So the tribe of Judah, has Mashiach has to be from the tribe of Yehuda. It has to be from the tribe of Judah in order for him to be Mashiach. Part of his job description. You know, he has to be a man. He has to be an expert in Torah. He has to be a king. He has to be from the tribe of Judah. All these things. So I don't know what tribe I'm from, but a Kohen cannot be Mashiach. A Levi cannot be Mashiach. And so Moses, being a Levi, cannot be Mashiach. Aaron, his brother, being a Kohen, cannot be Mashiach. So Mashiach unites both forces. The force of Moses' redeeming quality 
his redeeming qualities, right? But his ability to redeem the Jewish people <clears throat> is united essentially with the kingship of King David. Each one is necessary. Each facet of who Mashiach will be is necessary. So we understand it now in our parsha of this week, going back to who's the original? Eliezer. Eliezer, we have to put into context. Eliezer, the first shaliach, the first ambassador. Who is the ambassador of Hashem? So let's talk about the story in context. We got 12 minutes left. Good. So what happens? Eliezer is sent to find, make a shidduch. He's sent to bring, uh, make, make a shidduch. What's a shidduch? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, find me a find. Catch me a catch. I've never seen the movie. I just read the books. So that's his job. He's a matchmaker. He's not Jewish. He's not a little babuchka with a, a backward shakel on. He's a real, he's a, he's a, he's a uh, you know, he's a, a non-Jewish dude who works for Abraham. He's on a high level for sure. But he sends him to make the shidduch. And this is the first Jewish marriage of all time. I say to young couples who come to me, who are like, we're, we're going to get married. I say, even if you never had a shidduch, even if you met on like J-Date or J-Swipe or through your best friend's mother's brother's sister's cousin, I say, Get a shidduch involved. Get a shadchan involved. It brings blessing into a marriage. Get, get someone in to go between you for a little bit. Because it helps. It's, it's what we do. We're Jews. The first marriage was predicated on this. And believe me, it was a good marriage. Isaac and Rebecca, sign me up. Right? <laughs> Who always want a marriage like that? She comes back to Isaac's tent, Sarah's tent. She makes challah, her Shabbos candles. All these blessings return. The shekhinah, the divine presence, returns with Rivka. Three-year-old Rivka. Amazing. So what is that? It shows us that the emissary, the job of Eliezer as this, not only as a shaliach, but as a shadchan, as a matchmaker, is so essential to Jewish marriage. You have to have a go-between at some point. Get a go-between. So point being, Eliezer carries out his mission. He has his ambassadorship to make the shidduch. But there's room to ponder. Abraham says to him, and you shall take a wife from my son Yitzchak. And we can explain it in many ways. One way is Eliezer was a shliach for a sanctified marriage, for a Jewish marriage. And it says, shliach shall adam kamoto. What does it mean? A shliach of a person is like the person themselves. What's a good example? If I send Noah to the cleaners for me. Noah, pick up my, uh, my uh, Shabbos jacket for me at the cleaners. Here's the money. Here's my car. Here's the keys. Here's everything you need to do the job. And Noah on the way finds a million dollars in the street. Who does it belong to? <laughs> Noah. Nope. You. Belongs to me. If he accepted his ambassadorship on my part, his emissary, he's being my emissary, he's an extension of me in every way possible. Oh. So it's Avraham? So, so Eliezer Abraham. is Avraham at this point, yeah. So, and if you think about it like this, let's say Noah, God forbid, gets into a car accident, God forbid, and damages somebody's fence or something and knocks it down. Who has to pay? Me. I'm also culpable. He was doing what I said. Okay, the accident, he didn't do it on purpose. What if Noah on the way to the dry cleaner says, I'm stopping at 7-Eleven and he finds a million dollars. Who does it belong to? Nope, him. He's not doing what I said. I didn't say go to 7-Eleven, I said go to my dry cleaners, pick up the money, here's the car, here's the keys, here's the gas. Right, right, right. 
So there's a question. No, I might owe me money for gas, but he gets to keep the million dollars. He gets the, he might owe me money for the mileage on the car and the drug. Yeah, I'm being a very simple explanation, but we understand it's Jewish law. Like this is real stuff. If Noah stops at 7-Eleven and he crashes through the front of 7-Eleven on the way, who has to pay? Noah. Not me. I'm not paying. He's got to pay. He's not doing what I said. So we see that the relationship between sender and emissary in Hebrew, Mishaleach, and the Shaliach, the one who sends and the ambassador of the person, is so connected that the ambassador is like a full extension of me. It's a full extension of me in every way, shape, or form until he completes the task and the task is completed and he fulfills his, his mission by which he's being sent. So this is the role of Eliezer. And there's many things, there's levels here that explain to us spiritually what that is. If you look on page 80, the first thing is the deeds of the shaliach are as those of the sender. And more, the power of the deed of the shaliach is that of the mishaleach. Meaning to say, if I send Noah to the dry cleaners and I give him my keys to my car and I give him all the things he needs for the shlichus, he is, has my power. God imbues him with my special set of skills, like Liam Neeson. Like he gives him my special set of skills and gives it over to Noah, and he's got my power. Is that the same like with the housekeeper? Like if you go send a housekeeper to 7-Eleven? Is she being paid? Yeah. Is she expected? Yeah. You're like it. A housekeeper? To go to no, is she being paid to work for me? Yeah. Yeah. No, she's not an ambassador. Um, okay. She's a servant. Uh -huh. She's a paid worker. She's a... Uh, either she's a day worker or a, a, a contracted laborer. She's a worker. She's getting paid to do it. If you send her as an emissary, you have to make this is this is like Jewish law. Like if you make someone an emissary or if they're a paid worker, it's two different things. So that's what my dad says when I go to like if I go to on vacation, he's sending me as a like as an emissary and gives me a dollar. Right, shirash mitzvah. He makes mm -hmm. you a, an ambassador of a mitzvah. So it says a person who's doing a mitzvah cannot be harmed. Uh -huh. So he doesn't want you to be harmed on the way to wherever you're going. When you're going to Tierra del Fuego, he doesn't want you to get injured on the, on the, on the way. Or like whatever happens, happens. He gives, it, he gives, he gives you a mitzvah. So as long as you have that dollar, and then you go to Tierra del Fuego and you put it in tzedakah box. That's your mission. So you're on the, you're on the mission of, of good. And you, it says a person who's on a mission of good, of a mitzvah, cannot be harmed. Cannot be harmed. So Eliezer, Eliezer had to encounter that. I'm like digressing a little bit, but Eliezer had like threats on his life on the way. Eliezer, uh, Rivka's brother, Lovan, like tried to like literally decapitate him on the way, like horrible, horrible people. So Eliezer had these threats on his life, like very real. And because he was a sheikh of Abraham, he carried with him not the power of Eliezer, not the power of attorney of Abraham, but all Avraham's characteristics, all Avraham's traits, all his energy, all his spiritual and divine energy was vested fully in Eliezer. When I send Noah to the dry cleaners, I don't have the power to give him my full spiritual energy because he's got more than me. But the point is, Avraham doing it very high level. He's conveying a power to him. He's like literally giving him his spiritual energy because he has it and he's able to convey it. The next level is his entire being of the Shliach is that of the Mishaleach. Eliezer, at that point, there's an argument to be made. He was better than Avraham. Avraham didn't have his own powers anymore. Who had it? Eliezer. 
Eliezer had it. The shliach, the final level is, the shliach is exactly the mishaleach. One could argue, Eliezer was Avraham. You can make that full argument. And if you make that argument, what do we go back to the premise of? Each one of us are an emissary of Hashem. So the question is, are your deeds godly deeds? Well, I could use some work on that area, right? Is my power the power of God? So I don't feel that way. I should. Is my entire being godly? I honestly believe that. And then finally, am I God? So the answer is, what's a piece of infinite? Cut away a chunk of infinite. Cut away a chunk. No, infinite. A piece of infinite is infinite. Infinity divided by a billion is infinity. Take a billion away from infinity. What do you have? I said this in my Hebrew school today, uh, yesterday. What is Hebrew? What is? What, take a what's a million a minus one is nine hundred thousand nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. What is one minus? What is infinity minus one, infinity minus one? Infinity. What's infinity minus a billion? Infinity. So we're talking numbers, but we talk about Hashem being infinite, truly, which we can't really conceive of. What's a portion of God? God. So the question is, are you God? Oh, that's number three. What about number four? Level number four. Level number four, the Rev is intimating that each one of us is exactly Hashem. It's a question of us. Are we letting it in? Are we doing it? What level are we at? Sometimes I feel like I could barely get to number one. Other times I feel like I'm fully invested and I feel like level number three. And other times... I should realize, essentially, really, I am Hashem. I'm a full ambassador, a full extension, a full conduit, a full godly being. That's part of the problem. The problem is, is that if you believe you're Hashem, you have to acknowledge that the other person's also Hashem. Right. If you don't do that, you're not really Hashem, are you? No, you're just arrogant. You're just arrogant. You're just your own person. So the problem is, on one hand, we have this inferiority complex where we don't realize we are Hashem. On the other hand, we could have this superiority, I don't know what it's called, <laughs> some, this egoism <laughs> of this egotistic thing that think, I am God. And then at that point, you're wearing like a sign on the front of you that says, I am God. You're standing in Times Square selling little <laughs> flags and flowers. You're standing on the highway offering, selling bags of oranges. Like, I am God. Like, okay, buddy, good luck with that. You know, like, that's right, just let me roll up my window while you're standing there. Like, then that God is not the good God. That's not what the really God we're looking for. That's not the God that the Rebbe is talking about here, clearly. So this is like a very powerful lesson for us as shluchim of Hashem. This Shabbos makes us this tremendous awareness of really what's at stake here when we bring Mashiach. We're talking about bringing Mashiach. You think God could entrust people who aren't aware of their abilities, power, being, and exact nature? With the coming of Mashiach, he needs all of us to be firing off on all cylinders. He needs all of us to be infinitely aware of our status, of what we are, essentially. How come Abraham couldn't find a Jew uh, to be the well, emissary? He was the only Jew. Him and Sarah, the only Jews. So he had converts. He had people who converted, temporarily at least, and he could have. But Eliezer was the dude. 
Eliezer fulfilled his capacity as Shaliach very, very well. So it had to be someone from his family. Could, could it have been someone from could his have, family? It could have. He didn't have anyone else from his family to send necessarily at that point. But there's another thing here that's interesting. Uh, we have time, but we could say it. Number two is he was also as long as he was a shliach, he's also a shadchan, he's a matchmaker. Mm-hmm. He was also a matchmaker. A matchmaker is not a shliach. A matchmaker is a conduit, a go-between, a linchpin, like in a door. You pull out the pin; it connects the the, the door with the the sill of the door. The linchpin. A shadchan does not have the power to sanctify a marriage. Does not have the ability of power of attorney. It is not like the one who sent. It is merely, it's like, it's like uh, Haley's cleaning lady. Like, <laughs> she is the connector between you and wherever she was, where'd you send her? 7-Eleven, yeah. I need, uh, I need a giant Coke Slurpee right now. This, that, that's a Shad Khan is, connect, is marrying you to your Slurpee. The third person doing it is a courtesy to the other people. We pay our Shad Khanim. We give them what's called Shad Khanus. It's important to pay them, even like a lot of them reject it. Today they ask for more, but they're to pay a shatchan. It's, it's important. They don't do it for pay, but when they when they work their magic, you know, abyssal gelt untem tish, give a little money under the table, and you give them something. It's like you, know, you send them a little Venmo, and everyone's happy. But as a shatchan, Eliezer does not seem to be a shliach, but he seems to be a separate individual from Abraham. And Eliezer even attempted to reason with Abraham, and he turns to him and he says, Marry my own daughter. Don't send me out into the Yehopetzville to find a daughter. I have a daughter. You trust me with everything. Let me marry your daughter. Maybe my daughter marry your son, rather. He says, Ah, you are a cursed nation, and you cannot come close to a blessed nation. And Shadchan shows that Eliezer was willing to insert himself into the picture in an unhealthy way, thereby not being a shaliach. He wanted to make his own efforts, use his own mind, use his own heart to propose his own daughter to his master, to his, his boss, and say, boss, right here, I don't have to go so far. Abraham says, no. So this shows you that Eliezer was not behaving the right way in that way. He says, do not take away from my son from the daughters of Canaan, from the Canaanites. Don't take a daughter from there. Go to the land of my birthplace. Find her. Eliezer, at that point, could give consideration to his own, pers- his own personal his interest. He, re- he relinquished it. Once he returned to the original consideration, as a shaliach, as an ambassador of Abraham, he realized his central role as the elder. He's called him the elder of the household of Abraham. And he had authority over all Abraham's possession. He had the ability to draw and give drink to the waters and the teaching to others. He taught Avraham, people Avraham's way. He taught people the way Avraham lived. He said, you've got to meet my boss. He's amazing. They said, oh, well, you tell me. And he says, okay, I'll tell you. And for whatever reason, he was able to convey Avraham's greatness and morality, which the world was sorely lacking at that time, to the world. It's an amazing thing. So he says, I'm a servant of Avraham. And he swears for his mission. And so he was a shaliach to find Rivka, to find Rebecca, ultimately. His role of shaliach is further, further borne out by the verses in the Torah, as it says, the shaliach took 10 of his master's camels and set out with all of his master's possessions in hand. 
Eliezer held in his authority all the possessions of his master and power to do with what he wished without permission. He never had to ask permission anymore. He was completely vested with all the interests of Abraham completely. And so he gives the legal binding document to Rivka and eventually finds it. Abraham handed this gift document to Eliezer and he could have destroyed it. But what did he do? He says, I'm feeling my fullest authority to the fullest extent possible. There's a question, which we don't have time for. The question is, how was Abraham halachically, according to Jewish law, able to give away his possessions like that? We don't do such things. It's a question. But the point is that this was going to be the union of the first Jewish boy, first person born as a Jew, and his wife, who would go on to build the Jewish nation, to have Yaakov, who would have the 12 tribes of Israel, and then go on to build the entire Jewish nation. So Avram pushed all his chips to the center of the table, and he says, I'm all in. I'm all in for my people. I'm willing to risk it all. And in the specter of that, he had every right to do it. He says, I'm all in for God's mission. And if you look at Avraham's whole life, that's what he was always all in. Avraham was fully aware of this principle that right. Eliezer would pretty much become him as a shliach. So, in theory, he could have given the responsibility to his donkey. It would have had the same outcome, right? Has to be an agent of a person. Okay, not donkey. But right. Any person. Right. Could have been. It says he was the elder of his household. He was the most trusted of his house. Assuming whoever he gave the responsibility to would end up having his qualities and being and acting through him. Correct. But it, but the, also the Mishaleach has to accept. Right? So it says Eliezer at first was not that. What was Eliezer's first reaction? Take my daughter. He didn't want. Then when he said, okay, I'm in, he was fully invested. If you could argue that if he said to uh, Joe Schmo, his other servant, Joe Schmo would have been like, ah, I'm a, I, I have no room for myself. I want to do what I want to do. I'm not going to be yours. I have no room for you in my life, Avram. Like, I want to, but no. So we have to take into account the Shaliach himself too. The ambassador himself has to accept his ambassadorship. So not necessarily would every other one of Avram's servants say, I'm willing to take that on. Only Eliezer unique as he was, was able to take that on. So we understand that Avram pushed all his ships to the center of the table, but for Jewish continuity, for the Jewish nation to succeed, for everything to be there, and to ensure that his wife was the right wife. Because once he had his qualities, Eliezer found the right wife right away. He found the right woman. He didn't have to put ads out there. He didn't have to do anything. He said, Hashem, open myself up to the, the, the miracles that I'm going to see before me. And he was like, he conducted himself like a mom, like a sadik, like an amazing person. He said, like, I'm, 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 I'm Abraham right here. I'm Abraham on this mission. And he conducted himself. If you see his conduct, it's really as such. And so when he did that, we see the power that Avram really had. And we had to see the power that was vested in Eliezer. So each Jew being a shaliach of Hashem has that same conveyance of power, has that same assuming the qualities of the sender and also actually being like that person. So we talk about in the context of today, the Reb is sending shluchim all over the world, sending rabbis and rebbitsons all over the world of, of uh, to start Chabad houses, to start schools, yeshivas, shaykhtim, and the people who come to those places like here to learn, to study, to do mitzvahs, 
They're a full extension of the Rebbe in every way possible. They're a full extension. Each one of us is a full extension of the Rebbe. And the Rebbe doesn't say, lose your identity. The Rebbe says, doesn't wash away your talents, your skills. He knows exactly who you are, just like Avraham knew exactly who Eliezer was. He says, you're a cursed person, but this is your role. The Rebbe is saying to us, ah, you know, you eat too much chocolate, but I know your role. You know what? You have a role too. You have your, your frailties, but you have a special set of skills. Our generation has a special set of skills, clearly, to bring Mashiach. All right, we'll stop there. Any questions? Mm-hmm. Shkayach.